the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thank you for joining us today for On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rhody Fisher. As a Christian mom for over 40 years and a teacher of the Bible in public schools for 25 years, Rhody will take you on a journey with some of her friends as they share their experiences and testimonies from their walk with Christ. You'll see that you are not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Now, here's your host, Rhody Fisher. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for bringing us here. We ask that you would give us the words to speak. Take over our mouths and our minds and our hearts. Lord, be in everything we say and do. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And be with the audience out there, Lord, that gets to hear this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in Psalm 77, and I'm going to be reading out of the King James if you want to follow me. And um, this is a psalm that I believe Asaph wrote, who is the first in command after, of course, um, David is king at this time. And this is his worship leader. And I think he wrote this with, with possibly David, or maybe he wrote it alone. It's giving him credit for the psalm. Um, but as the worship, the head of the worship team, I think he probably um, spoke to David about this. But um, the psalmist begins, like so many of the psalms that have been written by David, where he's in trouble, he's in need, he desires God to hear him. And it feels like a sense of urgency. And I know that for me, when there's all of that going on, I want to hear from God right away. And so this is that type of urgency that he speaks to God in. We're going to start in verse one. And it says here, oh, Father, give us understanding of your word. Um, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice. And he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My sore soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. See here, he's saying, even during the evening, he, the sore went with him. It was all day, all night. Okay, verse four. Now hold this mine eyes waking. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. And before this, when I read this, I thought of, you know, us holding our eyes open when we're really, really tired. Well, he's exhausted. He's tired. His eyes can't even stay open, but he wants to continue to talk to the Lord. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with my own heart and my spirit made diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to, to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah, he's asking the Lord, he's begging the Lord, where are you? Did you forget me? I I don't know if any of you have been there, but I have, and it's it's a desperate place to be. And and he's doing the right thing. He's calling on God, the only one that can help him. Okay, um, verse 10. And I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember the wonders of old. I will meditate also on thy work and thy talk of thy doings. He's 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 going to remember the times of God helping him. This is what he's saying. Um, he's going to remember all those times. And you know, there's a scripture, and I quote it all the time in in um, Revelation twelve eleven, where it says, "They will overcome." Gosh by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. It's how we can overcome. Who, by who? 
the blood of the lamb, which is Jesus. He's calling on God here. So we will overcome who we overcome. Well, the enemy will overcome the enemy, the trials, the things that we're going through. How? By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, which is what he's saying here. I'm going to remember the things that you did with your right hand for me, and that'll get him through. And it does. So not just, you know, when God does something for us, tuck that away and remember those times that he's helped us under some really troubling times. Okay, um, I'm going to start it in 13 here. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as ours? Who is so great? There's no one greater. There's no one. <clears throat> Verse 14, thou art the God that does us wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and of Joseph, Selah. The waters saw thee, O God, the waters saw thee. They were afraid. The depths were so troubled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Thy arrows, thine arrows also went abroad. The voice of thy thunder was in heaven. The lightnings lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. Thy way is in the sea, thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Thou leadest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Thank you for your word, Lord. I think of it, him saying, thou leadest thy people. He's leading us like a flock. You know, David was a shepherd boy and he led the sheep. He knows all about sheep. But he's, he's saying by the right hand of Moses and Aaron, as Moses and Aaron led the people through the desert. Okay, thank you for your word, Lord. What a great um, psalm that was. And Sean, I didn't cry, so I'm good. I was crying through this before. Anyway, I do want to introduce you to my special speaker. You see him on your screen. His name is Pastor Sean Hausman. And I, I met him through a good friend of mine. Um, uh, and I, I really do thank you for getting up so early. It's he's in Hawaii right now where a lot of us want to be, right? And he's on Maui. And so he's coming to you live from Maui. I'm here in Corona. Welcome to the show on the road with Jesus, Pastor Sean. Hey, thanks for having me. This is fun. Okay, great. Listen, Sean, um, I, Sean I'd like for our viewers to get to know you a little bit. If you could tell us um, where you grew up, where you were born, um, how many kids in your family, um, all of that small kid time. Okay. Give us a rundown of your background way, way so long ago. All right. Well, um, you know, as, as you introduced me, my name is Sean Hausman. Um, yeah. Nowadays, a lot of people call me Pastor Sean, but back then it was just Sean. <laughs> and, you know, often it still is. But, yeah, I grew up in a little town of San Diego, a suburb called Santee. And, uh, you know, it's kind of in between the city and out where all the, the, you know, cowboys were like the next town over was Lakeside, but then the other town over was El Cajon. And so there was kind of this blend between, you know, a little bit of like gang kind of stuff and then cowboy stuff. And I was like in the middle of that, which was super weird. And, um, and then also like a freeway just got built. It was a quick trip to the beach. And so for me growing up, um, I grew up in a town that when I you know, got to high school, I would go to the beach all the time and go surfing with my friends and try to get out of the the, the, the heat. But let's see, I, I grew up being basically raised by my grandparents. Um, my mom was, you know, a single mom and uh, she was working all the time to try to support me. My grandparents, they took me in. And so they've been like a mother and a father to me over the years in so many ways. Um, and then when I... Excuse me. Do you have siblings? I don't have any siblings. I'm an only child. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So mom was a single mom and she's probably fairly young. Yeah. Yeah. She was pregnant with me, I think, right when she was getting out of high school. And um, and yeah, then had me, um, you know, my my biological father, he was in the Navy at the time and then made some really bad decisions and decided to leave us. And uh, I think the last memory that my mom has of him was that, you know, he had ended up lacing her. She was very poor at the time. She poured, she just had some broccoli for her dinner. I was a small child 
I was I mean really little, like infant style. And um, and he had laced her broccoli with some LSD, and she was she was eating it, and he just laughed at her. And she's like, "What? What?" And she's like, "Well, I'm out of here. Enjoy your trip." And that was the last time that that my mom remembered, you know, him being around. Wow, uh, sad. Yeah, you know. So I mean, I have. I think he came back at one point in my life to try to like. I think he bought me a bicycle, but I never really had any kind of relationship with my biological dad. So. So like with my mom, you know, she was my mom. And then as far as my dad, like the person that was my dad in my life is my grandpa, you know, so, uh, and, you know, so, so it, group- it sounds like, sorry, Sean, it sounds like you came from a pretty stable household since you spent so much time with your grandparents. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, that, that was definitely my stability. Absolutely. Okay. So you, you go to elementary, junior high, mostly staying with your parent, grandparents then your mother was in and out of your life maybe no so when i was 9 my my mom remarried she she married a a, a, San, a police officer for San Diego Police Department uh-huh and at the time she was a dispatcher for the San Diego Sheriff's Department and right around that time um that's kind of where i pulled away from my grandparents a little bit and i moved in fully with them with my my mom and my stepdad and at nine years old, they kind of came up with this plan to take care of me, which was that one of my parents or one of my guardians would work the day shift and the other one would work the night shift. And that way, someone would always be home with me. But when you think that through, the person who was home with me was asleep getting ready for their next shift at work. So when I was about nine, I started getting really good at mischief. You know, I was pretty much unsupervised. And, um, you know, and then the summer times, you can imagine how how much trouble I didn't even have school to supervise me. So wow. I, I, and then be then being in law enforcement, I also became really good at hiding the bad things that I were doing, was doing. Yeah. So, um, so about nine, you know, it, it just started progressing deeper and deeper into mischief so that by the time I was in high school, I had, I had gotten pretty dark. Um, I had gotten into a lot of trouble for myself. Yeah. So um, you're still, out doing whatever you want with your friends um, during the daytime and and maybe even at night, who knows, um, and you're just coming home to grab a bite to eat possibly. Is that what the scenario looks like? Yeah, later on, early on, it was just, you know, you know, yeah. finding chemicals in my neighbor's garage and pouring them in the street or whatever unsupervised younger children would do, you know, <laughs> like, you know, all kinds of bad stuff like that, yeah. I know, you know, it's I, I, I hate to bring myself into this conversation, but my sister and I were recently talking about, and my brother, talking about some of the things we did when my parents weren't around, but we were supposed to be watched by my older brother. And we, you know, were digging up stuff and throwing cherry bombs across the street and yeah, all kinds of stuff. I don't know how we survived, but we did. So you're you're in high school and Take us up to the point that you, you know, you recognize that possibly you need to find a savior or accept Jesus yeah. as your savior. Now, I do know that there was a church nearby and son of, somehow you use the church to, as an excuse to get out of the house. Hey, mom, we're going to go. You know, I'm going to go to a Bible study here. So tell us a little bit about your life at that time prior to going to the to this Bible study. Yeah. Yeah. So. Right around, I would say probably my my junior year of high school, and I was like very involved in surfing at the time. And a group of my friends, you know, there one of the guys in my group, his dad was involved with this church, and at the church there was this youth pastor who was doing these Bible studies. And he would do, a, I think it was on Tuesday nights, he would have these Bible studies that he was doing, and so we would all go to Bible study because at that time, you know, there was a lot of pretty girls going to the Bible study. And at the same time, you know, they were coming cause all the surfer guys were coming. So we were just kind of feeding into each other's, you know, thing. And all the while this poor youth pastor, he's just trying to pour his heart out into us and doing anything he can to reach us for the Lord. But we weren't there for that. So we would tell our parents, it was the perfect cover. Hey, I'm going to Bible study. And of, of course, like our parents are like, yeah, and whatever will help you, you know, you need to be reformed, whatever it'll take. And so we would get like a, we would get permission to go to Bible study. And then after Bible study, we'd figure out, you know, what house we were going to go party at. 
And then we could tell our parents when we'd come home super late and they'd be like, where were you? I was hanging out with kids from youth group, you know, like, and then they were thinking, oh, okay, good, wholesome kids in their minds. But we were all pretty seedy at the time. Yeah. Wow. So what takes you to a place that you figure out that you do need a savior? You're not playing games here anymore. Right. Take us to that place. Well, in the middle of all of that, where we were going to this Bible study, this poor youth pastor, he was just trying to be very applicable. He would do every like kind of gimmick to try to reach us. And he got to a place where he was desperate and he was just like, Lord, I got, I'm going to quit. I'm so frustrated with what's going on because he knew that he was being manipulated by us. Mm -hmm. And he, and he recounts the story that the Lord just told him, just teach my word. Mm. And so he had made this commitment to the Lord. Okay. uh, No more no more gimmicks. I'm just going to open up the book of Luke and I'm going to start teaching them verse by verse through the book of Luke. I'm just going to give them my word as clear, God's word as clearly as he could. And from that, somewhere in the middle of all of that, I started to hear the Bible, not just little Bible, um, you know, slogans and not, you know, not trying to like use a movie to make it applicable. He's just teaching the Bible. And so somewhere in the middle of all of that, you know, the word of God is so powerful. It's way powerful, more powerful than any anything that I could come up with. You know, it's it's, you know, it's like a and sharper than any two edged sword. Right. And a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces, you know. And so uh, and my heart was just like that, just like the crazy hard rock in the middle of all of the, the sin that I had be, grown to love. And so somewhere in the middle of all of that, now this is the strange part of my testimony. I'm not going to Bible study to receive the Lord. I'm going as a cover for my own you know, sin. wickedness. But somewhere in the middle of all of that, I had learned that 666 had something to do with the devil and the devil had something to do with hell. And okay. okay, so from that, we're doing our beach party thing. I had just graduated from high school. Um, my friend Mike and I, we would go to the beach there in San Diego in La Jolla, and we would surf at this place called Scripps. Now, the night before, we had just come from a party. And at that party, I had made this my conscious decision because I'd always go to parties and I would loan people my cigarette lighter and they would steal it. And so at this particular party, I was stubborn. I'm like, I'm going to steal back every lighter that anybody's ever stolen from me. So that was like my game. So I'd be like, hey, can I borrow your lighter? And they'd be like, yeah, sure. And I'd just walk away with it. So the next morning, I had like 10 lighters on me. And, and I had all my paraphernalia that I normally keep. I had a beer bottle opener in my wallet. You know, I had, I had rolling papers. I had a condom. And, and you know, I keep these things with me. And, uh, and so as we're on our way back from the beach, I, my friend, Mike, he, he, he says, Hey, Sean, look at this. Now we're in this old 1970s um, station wagon. It was a Dodge Aspen and all the letters had fallen off the back of Dodge, except for the O and the G. So we called it the AUG and it was this, you know, ugly green thing. And so we're, we have the surfboards piled up down the middle of this station wagon. And he's like, Sean, look at this. So I look under the surfboards and I see that the odometer had, that traces how far the car has gone, it went to all sixes just because the car was old. And then right when I looked, the little white one went, click, six. And it was just all sixes. And we're, we're traveling down the 52 freeway there in San Diego, you know, just kind of by Claremont. And, uh, and I remember it. It's like as if time stood still for me at that moment. You know, we're driving down the freeway. But for me, it's like pause. And my mind, like I could think. And it was clear as ever the reasoning within me it was like wait god made me and he knows what's best for me but i'm i am living my life my way and because i'm living my life my way i'm going to hell so that comes right into your head right into my head and and from that my sinner's prayer was just like i just want to live your way god that was it like i i don't know anything i'm not i'm not smart you know as far as like spiritual things I hardly even know what's happening to me. I just know God made me. He knows what's best for me, but I'm living my life my way. And because I'm heading in my way, my way is heading, heading me to hell. Wow. And it was, so it was just like, I want to live your way now, God. And so I rolled down the window and I started throwing out the cigarette lighters out the window because I knew what they represented. That was my way. I threw out my beer bottle opener and you know, was throwing all my paraphernalia out the window. And, and my friend can't see me doing it because the surfboards are down the middle. 
And suddenly this car pulls up alongside of him and honks the horn and is like shaking his fist at my friend. And, and my friend's like, what's going on? Why is this guy so mad? And he looks down the side view mirror and he sees stuff bouncing down the freeway and he realizes that I'm the one throwing it out. And so he shouts at me. He's like, Sean, stop it. You're going to get me in an accident or a fight or a ticket or something. And I just shout right back at him, Mike, I'm going to hell. <laughs> and, uh, and he was quiet. And the next thing you know, under the surfboards come his hand with his pack of cigarettes. And he's like, throw mine out too. And, oh, I'll, tell you, and I'll tell you, Mike is still walking with the Lord today as well. Because whatever was happening in that car, the Lord was moving. And he had gotten a hold of both of our hearts that day. But it wasn't you know, because we were figuring it out. It was because that poor youth pastor finally gave up all the gimmicks and just went straight to the Bible instead. And the Bible is the thing that has the power and it got into our heart like a seed. And even though it was like rocky soil, the seed took root and it got down in there. And then there was life, you know, there's wow. life where there wasn't before. And so that day was the day I gave my life to the Lord. I, I, my altar call was just, you know, it was on, it was in, in the freeway in the middle of driving down. And, um, and, and I was different from the time that I got home. I just was like, my whole world was changed. I, I, it, it was night and day. I knew something different had happened in me. And, uh, and so right so, away, and uh, go ahead. Uh, tell us what changes happened right away. Uh, I know you threw out all those lighters, but yeah. do, you, do you give up, um, you know, smoking or whatever you were doing? And tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, everything. So I had been smoking. I've been smoking cigarettes and marijuana regularly for at, at that point. I mean, it, it hadn't been super entrenched. Like some people are like 40 years into this. For me, this was like probably three years and uh, of just like consistent like cigarettes and, and marijuana. And uh, and from that, I had just decided, you know what? I, I need to go for a run. And I'm not in any shape for running. My lungs are a mess, but I'm just like, I'm going for a run. So I went out and I started going for this run. And as I'm running, I come to a, a fork in the road where I know if I go one way, it's going to be really short. I know if I go the other way, I'm going to, I have to stick it out. It's the long haul. And I come to this fork in the road while I'm running. And it's just in my mind again, it's like, are you going to take the short way? Or are you in this for the long haul? And to me, that was like, that was the Lord. And I'm like, I'm in this for the long haul. And I know it's going to hurt. And I know it's crazy, but I'm going the long way. And so I, I ran the long way and it ended up making my run about five miles. And wow. uh, when I, I got to where I couldn't run any further, and I just started, I stopped. And right when I stopped, one of my friends that I party with, he pulls up along the, the side of the road with beside me in his truck. He's like, what are you doing way out here? And I'm like, can I get a ride? I can't go any further. And he's like, yeah, jump in. And the first thing I say to him, Jason, I gave my life to Jesus today. That's wow. why I'm way out here. <laughs> wow. And he's like, okay, whatever. He gets me home, drops me off. And the next thing you know, he's on the phone calling my friends. Hey, like, Sean, he's so weird right now. He just told me he gave his life to Jesus. And I think he's serious. So I hear about this later. So I knew in my mind, I'm in this for the long haul. And I don't know, I don't know much at this point. I just know I'm giving my life to Jesus. Wow. So, so I keep going to Bible study. And about two weeks later, my stepdad had planned this like fishing trip where we jump in this, we jumped in his truck and we drove all the way up to a little island off the coast of um, Canada, off of British Columbia called Minstrel Island. And while we're up there, I don't know anything. I'm just up there. I, I know I'm reading my Bible now. In my mind, I thought I'm going to be the first one to read the whole Bible. That's how dumb I was, right? I'm like, I love you, God, and you've saved me, and I just want to show you that I love you. I'm going to be the first one to read the whole Bible. That, in my mind, that, that was it, because nobody reads books this big, in my yeah. mind, right? And uh, so I'm reading my Bible. I'm, I don't know anything, really. I, I you know, start in Genesis, and I'm just plowing through. Uh, you know, I get out there, and there's this like kind of hippie-looking girl who works in the kitchen there at the island, and I, I start talking to her, and I'm like, hey, what do you do for fun up here? And she's like, oh, we go for hikes or whatever. And I'm like, no, like anything that grows, because I'm trying to find somebody to get loaded with. And she's like, oh, yeah, let's go for a hike. And so we go for a hike and she, you know, she packs her, her marijuana pipe for me and she lights it up and hands it to me. And I, I go to take a hit. And rather than feeling high, I just feel guilty. Like, it's so different. And I'm like, uh, I, you know what? I, I, I'm not feeling this. I can't do this today. 
I'm like, I don't know. Maybe it's because my stepdad's here. I don't know what's happening, but I just can't do this. She's like, no, that's fine. That's fine. And then a couple days later, I see her and her French. They're in this boat and like they're rolling a joint and they're like, hey, come, come. And so then right there, they like this joint. And they pass it to me. And same thing. I take the hit. And as soon as I take it, it's like it's not high. It's guilt. And I'm like, I can't do this. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me. You know, but <laughs> I mean, it was so weird. Because normally, normally I'm just like, yeah, but that is like, no, I can't be this guy anymore. And, um, and so like, I, so I realized, wow, I think God's changing me. Well, as I was leaving, she gave me this big old bud of marijuana and she's like, well, here's a little gift for you as you head back. And so, you know, I, I mean, I don't know anything. I really, so this is how dumb I was. I smuggled this marijuana back from Canada down to down, back down to San Diego with me. Right. When I get back to California, I get home and I call up my friend Jason, who's having a party at his house. I go to his house and I'm like, Jason, I have a present for you. And he's like, okay, what is it? And I give him this bud and I'm like, Jesus has changed my life. I don't need this stuff anymore, but you obviously still need this. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, I mean, honestly, like any kind of Bible counseling, you'd say that's not the kind of witnessing you need to do, but that's how dumb I was, right? I'm like, I don't need this stuff anymore. He's like, please, at least smoke it with me. I'm like, no, seriously, like, I don't need this stuff anymore. Like Jesus is changing me. It's super weird, but it's happening. And he's like, okay, whatever. That's far out. Like, you know, wow. uh, funny side story. I had lost touch with Jason for probably 18 years. Wow. And he had found me on the internet, seeing that I was a pastor here in Maui. He called the church phone and said, Hey, I just needed to get a hold of you. I've given my life to Jesus now. So, so I know So Jason's walking with the Lord after, you know, so many years and you know he's still serving the lord there in california um in in the marietta area right now so it's a, yeah. a, a does, neat side story does he become a pastor or is he just serving the lord in marietta because i no, know he's, bible school, school there and and um a church there too yeah so no he, he's just serving the lord at, at one of the calvaries there and wow yeah. such yeah. a tremendous story so you get saved now let's fast forward a little bit um i'd like to hear the steps that happen, you, I know that you too go to Bible study. Tell us how that happened. I mean, Bible school, how does yeah. that? Happen? So my, my friend bond who was teaching this Bible study at the time, he had gone to Calvary Chapel Bible college. And that was when it was up in twin peaks and yeah. about, about maybe a year into me walking with the Lord. And I'm, I'm listening to Bible teaching tapes. I'm reading commentaries He's challenging me. Hey, I want you to write me a paper about grace. And so I'd write out this paper about grace. And I want you to write me a paper about justification. And so I'm learning how to study the Bible. Um, you know, he would teach me how to use the Strong's Concordance when I ended up at a, I ended up getting invited to a, um, a, a, a different denomination was borderline cult. And they started just preaching at me, telling me all this weird stuff. And I come back telling him and he gives me a strong concordance. And he's like, this is how you're going to find out if the Bible says that. And so he just turns me loose. So I'm loving learning how to study the Bible. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, hey, I, I want to take you to this Bible college that I went to just for a Sunday night chapel service. And when you go, just pray and see if maybe the Lord will have you, you know, end up there. Mm -hmm. So we go, we go to a, a Sunday night chapel service when it was up in Twin Peaks and I went up there and I'll tell you, like I went there and, and God left my heart there. Wow. And so when I, so when I got back to San Diego, like again, after that little weekend trip, I just wanted to go to Bible school and I just was praying and praying and asking the Lord. And, and at that time, a couple of my friends, my friend, Mike, that gave his life to the Lord right at the same time I did, he applied to Bible college. A friend of mine, Jamie, she applied for Bible college. My friend, Joe, he, he applied to Bible college and I applied and they all got their um, their response letters that they had been accepted and I didn't get my response letter. And I'm like, no, the Lord doesn't want me to go. This is terrible. I want it. That's all I want to do. And so my grandpa was like, just call those guys. Just call them. So I called and they're like, oh, you've been accepted. No one told you. They had lost my application and forgot to send me the letter. Oh. So I was all so I was all in a panic, but I ended up going to Bible college, uh, Calvary Chapel Bible College when it was in Marietta. My first semester was there in spring of 97. Wow. And um, that was the first full semester that was there at Marietta. I went through the whole um, two years. And after I had graduated, um, I felt like a loser. 
because all my friends were telling me like, I, I'm going to be a youth pastor or I'm going to go be a worship leader. I'm going to go and do this or that for the Lord. And all I knew was like, I'm going back to San Diego. That's all I know. And, uh, and so I went back to San Diego and I was helping out at the Calvary Chapel Santee, just setting up chairs, tearing down chairs. You know, I started doing youth uh, or children's church, but I didn't have any real direction. And then I just had this drive in my heart that the Lord was calling me north. And I didn't know what north meant, but I just started getting ready. And so, you know, just keeping a loose grip because I just knew I'm going north. I don't know what this is going to look like, but I'm going north. And I thought at the time it was Canada. So I'm getting ready. And then I go to the Bible college again for a Sunday night chapel service. And when I'm at that chapel service, it was, um, you know, Pastor Brian Broderson, who's now taken over Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. He had just moved back from England and he was there teaching the Sunday night chapel service. And while he was teaching it, I felt like the Lord was calling me and saying, I want you to be a part of what I'm going to do here. And, and I, was, I was like, I don't want to be here. This is where people polish their guns. I want to shoot mine. Like, I want to be out, like, changing lives and preaching the gospel. Yeah. And, but it just seems so real. And I'm like, okay, well, then I need, I need confirmation. And so I started looking through the Bible. And, and, and while I'm looking through the Bible, Pastor Brian says, and why is it that we argue with the Lord when he tries to call us back to where we've come from? Wow. And, uh, and at that point, I'm like, I know that's the Lord. So I went and talked to the director at the time, uh, a guy named Pastor Brad Lambert from Calvary Chapel um, Living Hope in Oceanside. And, uh, and he was like, Sean, amen. I always thought that about you, when you were, that you were supposed to be here. But then you graduated and you were gone. And I'm like, eh. But he's like, yes, absolutely. We want you here. So he's like, go home and pray about it. So when I went home to pray about it, I just quit my job and packed up all my stuff in my car. And I drove up there the next Sunday and I show up at the, at the Bible college and he's like, so what, what's the Lord showing you? And I'm like, I'm supposed to be here. I've quit my job. I got everything in my car. He's like, whoa, whoa, that was faster than I was expecting. But he moved me into a, a dorm of students. Eventually I became the assistant to the Dean of Men at the time. And then, um, and then I, I went to South Africa for about six months where we helped plant a Calvary Chapel there in Cape Town. Wow. And, and then when I came back, I actually became the Dean of Men at Calvary Chapel Bible College. And, uh, and during that time, I met my wife and we got married. We stayed, at, we stayed there at the Bible College serving till 2007. And then we moved to Lake Havasu City, Arizona, where I was a youth pastor and an assistant pastor. So um, oh, traveled quite a bit. You not only went north, but you went, I guess it would be west, um, way west. No, wh where's Africa from? Here. Okay, you went further. Anyhow, yeah. <laughs> that's a beautiful story. So I do know that you're in Hawaii now. And I, I know that um, you go back to Marietta uh, from those two. Um, no, I'm sorry, you, you go, you're, you're now serving as a youth pastor there in, um, in Arizona. How is it that you go from Arizona to Hawaii. What what's the calling there? How does God, God work in your life to change your, your what looks like the ground that He called you to um, yeah. something else? So when I went when we moved to Lake Havasu City, like I was, we thought we were moving to Africa. We 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 put our house on the market there in Marietta. We we, we were thinking we were moving to Africa, and then like right at the last minute, the Lord changed everything, and we ended up. You know, it was a really special story, but we ended up in, in Arizona. And um, the pastor that's there, Pastor Ray Carter, he's one of my best friends. He actually, um, you know, performed our wedding ceremony, my wife and I. My wife grew up in that church, you know, so it was really special for us to end up there. But I had told him when we first moved in there, I'm like, I don't believe that we're going to be here forever. Uh, you know, um, I, I really think that, you know, I have pastoral gifts and callings that God will use one day. And, and he's like, I, I agree with that. You know, and I see that calling in you. And so that was an early on conversation. And I was there for three years to the day without actually planning it that way. But it's just the way the Lord had it, it was exactly three years to the very day. And while I was there, you know, I would have ideas and vision and I would bring them to Pastor Ray and I'd be like, Pastor Ray, like, I want to do this. What do you think? And he'd be like, I'm not feeling it. And I'd be like, Okay. And I, it was hard because it was like, it felt like I was bringing him like this balloon of vision and he would just pull out his pin and pop it, you know, like, boop, 
nope. Oh, okay. And so after a while, I mean, sometimes he'd be like, yeah, it's a great idea. And we do it. But, you know, I'd have these ideas and these vision and I'd, I'd bring it to him. And during that, the Lord showed me, like he says in Daniel, like seal up the vision for it's for an appointed season. And the Lord showed me that sometimes vision can be for later. Mm-hmm. The things that God's showing you doesn't mean he's showing it to you for right now. But faith, but faithfulness is always for right now. And so if vision can be for later, but faithfulness is for now, then I, I was always praying like, okay, Lord, then strengthen me here that I can serve you undistractedly. And I would pray that all the time, like this secret under the, under, you know, under the radar prayer, Lord, just strengthen me in the trials. Let me be a blessing. I'm not here to like, you know, carve out my own path. I'm here to support. And after about two years of that, like I started getting tired and, and I would pray and, and, and I felt like I was dying inside. And so I started praying, God, you got to change something because I feel like I'm dying inside. And about a, about two weeks after I started praying that, a friend of mine who was at the time was the director of the Bible college, Pastor Dave Shirley, he called me up and he's like, Sean, do you know Pastor Brad Hall out in Maui? It's like, no, I, I don't know him. It's like, well, I, I feel like you need to call him. He's planning on going to try to start a church in Australia and he's looking for somebody to take over their church and uh, you, you need to call him. And I, I told him, Dave, if you would have called me a week ago, I would have considered your phone call as like almost an insult, like a temptation challenging me in my trials. But I'll tell you that I've been praying different and I know that now. And so I, I, God's changing something in my heart. So when I called um, Pastor Brad and he's like, so what's the first thing you thought of when you heard of Maui? And I'm like, honestly, I thought maybe I don't know what God's doing in my life. Because at the time I thought we were going to move um, to South Africa. Right. And I, I'm like, maybe I don't know what God's doing. In fact, I'm tired of writing my own story. I, I don't want to know what God's doing. I just want to follow him. Because I always, you know, and I, I would always jokingly say, when I start writing my own story, I think I want, you know, I think I want action. And it turns out to be comedy. You know, we think we want romance and it turns out drama. You know, like we, we always start, we think we're writing it one way and it always turns out this other way. And I come to this place where I'm like, I don't need to know what I'm doing or what the future is. I just need to follow the shepherd. Yes. And so that was the thought in my mind. I just need to follow the shepherd. And so Brad said, well, hey, um, I want you to pray and see if God will give you a scripture to confirm what this, this if, if it's his will. And I was kind of anti the whole Bible roulette thing. You know, who, who just like you don't just open the Bible and read a random verse. I can and if I want something bad enough, I can find scriptures that will confirm it. Because I'm that, you know, my heart's that sneaky. I can make it sound like it's a spiritual thing. And if you feel like God's calling you to Afghanistan, that it's probably God. But if you feel like God's calling you to Maui, it might be you. Yeah. So I was, so I was really afraid of me, you know. And uh, so I just kept praying. And, and one of the, that thought of just follow the shepherd, follow the shepherd. And one of the verses that was just very clear in my mind, and I was thinking it was for everybody else. So I was counseling people with it. Um, I'm going to paraphrase it. It's John 10.4. It says, and when he brings forth his sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him because they know the voice of the shepherd. Mm-hmm. And it's just that fact of like, we know his sheep know his voice, but they doubt his voice. Mm-hmm. So, so they want to hear everybody, other, every other voice telling them what to do, but we know his voice. And so I was just encouraging people that, you know, God's voice, like, you know, his voice, you just doubt that. And, uh, and so I thought that was verse was for everybody else. But when Brad, Pastor Brad finally said, okay, so is the Lord giving you any scripture? I said, I don't know, but there's the one verse that is always on my mind as I've been praying and, and it's John 10, four. And I share it with him and he just is blown away. He's like, Sean, you got to know this 10 years ago when God called us to Maui, that's the very verse he used. He's wow. like, I, like, I, you know, you're the guy, you're the guy. And he's like, but I will tell you this, there's another guy that's moved out here and he's already sold his house and he's bought a home here in Maui. He's wow. convinced, he's convinced that he's the guy. Wow. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> great. Yeah, thanks. I'm going to accept a call to be the pastor of a church and there's a guy already on the ground. I'm going to start fighting him. So I just told him, hey, I, I'm okay being wrong. Just give it to that guy. He's like, well, no, you, you, you just pray about this. Let's talk tomorrow. So when I spoke to him the next day, he's like, hey, uh, there's one thing the board is convinced of, and it, that it's that other guy is not the guy. Oh, wow. And, uh, and uh, so you the just pray. He's here. Wow. What's that? Yeah, he's the there already. There took, took, the, took that option off the table. So you keep praying, and what happens? Uh, the Lord showed me the story of Peter in the book of Acts, where he's, you know, 
at the house of the tanner and, and the, he's praying on the roof and the Lord shows him the vision of the great blanket with all the different types of meats and rice, Peter, kill and eat. Mm-hmm. And Peter's like, no, Lord, because he just thinks he's, you know, I, I honestly believe that Peter thinks the Lord is testing his devotion. No, Lord, I'm devoted to you. I, I won't touch anything unclean. And again, rise, Peter, kill and eat, you know, and again, rise. And finally, you know, the Lord, you know, says, don't call things unclean that I've made clean. And then he explains it to him, you know, hey, you're going to go and you're going to share the gospel with the Gentiles. And so he goes with Cor- to Cornelius's house. He preaches the gospel. The Gentiles get saved. You know, the spirits poured out upon the Gentiles. Now, to the Jewish mind, this is a new thing. Like, right. what is going on? God's not showing distinction. He's not like being a showing favoritism. And when he comes back to Jerusalem to recount the story, he explains it all. And he finishes it with this statement. He's like, and who was I that I could withstand God? And when I read that, the three times, rise, Peter, kill and eat, rise, Peter, kill and eat, rise, Peter, kill and eat. To sum it up with, who am I that I could withstand God? The Lord spoke to me at that. And he said, Sean, I'm going to keep bringing Maui up until you give me the right answer. Wow. I, you can't withstand God. And so at that point, I'm like, okay. I talked to my wife. We were like, we were in total agreement. So I called the pastor and he was like, great, I want you here. And I think it was like a month. It was like a one month time frame. So it was violent, selling everything and getting everything ready to go. And uh, we moved here. It was it was me and my wife and my three month old daughter at the time. Whoa. And uh, it was unbelievable. Um, actually, she was six months at the time. She was she was three months um, when I had first heard about Maui. And uh, it was it was pretty amazing. And so we moved here and. Um, you know, we came in complete faith. The pastor hadn't even fully moved out yet. So uh, we were here for a while living off of our savings. I mean, things are really expensive. And yeah. yet the, the Lord made a really smooth transition. And it, it's been beautiful. So here we've been here 11 years. It'll be 12 years in July. Wow. And um, yeah, it's so, just logistically um, you're you're moving. So you you really just pack bags. You're not moving any furniture or anything like that. You don't have mounds of stuff to send over, maybe we, a box or two. Or- we sold most of our stuff, but we did get a shipping container. Um, oh. It was a little, it was a little eight by eight, you know, so it was just mostly my library, you know, because I have a lot of books and I wanted them. And, uh, you know, we had a few things. Um, so we shipped all that over. There was a family in the church that they had a little Ohana, like a little guest house that they rented to us. And it was funny because when we were in Arizona, we had this giant three-bedroom house, you know, that we were renting. And when we moved to Maui, it was this little one-bedroom house, and it was the same price. Oh, you wow. It yeah. was Things are crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so do, you, do you end up – you, you obviously end up finding a place uh, yeah. that you guys could move into. And is that where you are now? We, we – from that, we moved into a, a little um, two-bedroom apartment we were there for about 10 years and then just this last year the lord had blessed us and we were able to buy our first home here in maui and um, it was you know a complete fixer but god's been really faithful and we've um, it's been a busy year but we've we've been able to you know set up and we have a permanent home now here in maui so what a blessing yes terrific blessing now tell me what city you're in so we're in a town called wailuku um, so it's up on the north side, right? It's like near the airport. So where you fly into in Maui, that's uh-huh. called Kahului. Yeah. And then and then just right adjacent to Kahului is Wailuku. So it's it's closer to the West Maui Mountains, um, you know, but still very central. So the church I pastor is Calvary Chapel, Central Maui, because we're on we're right in the middle. Yeah. Okay. Wow. What a beautiful thing. Now you you take your surfboard with you, I hope, because you can surf there. <laughs> I did. It was actually, you know, when I was in Arizona, I was a landlocked surfer. And, uh, but, but then here, you know, I, yeah, we get to surf quite a bit. And it's funny too, because I jokingly say, you know, you hear people say, man, if I give my life fully to the Lord, what happens if he sends me out in the middle of the desert? And I can say, well, you know, the Lord has sent me out in the middle of the desert because I was in Arizona. Well, what if he sends me out into Africa? Well, he, he has sent me to Africa. But I can also say you give your life fully to the Lord and sometimes he will give you things that are like the desires of your heart. Yeah. And I, I and I wasn't ever like looking for this. In fact, growing up in San Diego surfing and stuff, I I never even thought about Hawaii. I never did. You know, it was, to me, it was just like really far out. 
but um but just the fact that like i get to live here and not even you know it's not even the environment so much because i've i've learned that like the lord will give you enjoyment anywhere i love the desert now when i first moved to havasu i thought who in their right mind would purposefully live here but by the time i leave there like i love that place it's actually one of the most special places in my life because the lord showed himself faithful there and so it's very nostalgic in that you know down in south africa i love it there i still talk to my friends out there I talked to Pastor Dimitri just last week, you know, and we, we did a missions trip there a few years ago. And it's like very special to me, but it's not so much the place, but what God's done there. And even here now, it's it's not so much that, you know, the weather's nice or that you can go surfing or, or you know, like the other day we were hanging out on this river called in, in Eau Valley, really beautiful yeah. place. Yeah. And we're amazed, like, wow, we get to live here. But what's the most special about this place is that that the Lord is doing something here. And the people of God, you know, that's that's the treasure of, of the place. Right. I mean, it is a beautiful place, but, you know, the special treasure is his people. And so I'm right. just so thankful for the, the people of our church, the people we get to serve and minister to. And, you know, as, as we're kind of climbing out of this season of restriction, I'm really looking forward to us having more and more times of togetherness. Um, we have our first um, beach party planned after church this coming Sunday, you know, because... Wow. Because the mayor just lifted the outdoor mask mandate. And so things are kind of changing up. We're going to be down at the beach together. We can't do a potluck or anything, but but we can all, you know, show up at the same beach. And we're going to do that. And then... Um, do tell me um, what what church was like for you last year. I know a, a lot of the churches all across the nation got shut down. Um, yeah. I go to Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, and Pastor Jack opened it up May 30th of last year, yeah. which happened to be... And a lot of other pastors did. Apparently, the Lord had spoke to several pastors to open up at that time. And and they um, they were very careful about people wearing masks coming into church and things like that. Yeah. But it happened to be um, May 30th had happened to be um, Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, which was a really blessed sign that they did it at that time. Do you open up at that time last year, too? Yeah, we did. Um, so when when COVID started... You know, it, you know, you just you, you see videos, you know, you, of what's happening in China. I remember seeing news reports of why there were like mystery of um, cases of pneumonia in China. And you watch these videos of like people dropping over dead in the subway and in China. And you see like right. this really heavy response. So you don't know what it's going to look like. You don't know what it's going to be. And then you start hearing of it kind of getting closer. A couple cases in the United States. Then I remember I received an email from my bank saying, here's what our response is going to be during COVID. And I read that and I was like, you know, the banks shouldn't be leading in a time like this. The church needs to lead. Mm -hmm. So we drafted up an email to send out to our church members. We put it in our bulletin, you know, just about like, you know, when, when things come like this, it's not a time that like we don't question God's faithfulness. We know he's still good. We trust him all the way through it. But, you know, it's smart to also make some preparations. And so we made some recommendations. The following Sunday, because things were escalating, this was before any kind of um, decisions were made here. But I, I felt like the Lord was leading me to suspend all of our together services for a time. So I, I announced it at church on Sunday. Hey, for I don't know what this is going to look like, but I feel like the Lord's leading me to this. So we're going to suspend all of our together services and we're going to just go strictly online. And at that point, people were like, what are you doing? This is ridiculous. You know, like what an overreaction. You don't need to do this. Well, that was Sunday and, and I was getting so much criticism. But Monday, the mayor came and shut everybody down. Mm -hmm. So everybody that was criticizing our announcement and yet we were able to go through this with a plan. By Tuesday, all the other churches that were like kind of being critical of it and the people were critical. They had to scramble to come up with a plan because they weren't allowed to meet. So I saw God's leading in that. You know, we got to be a little bit ahead of the situation, but we don't do what we do. And I, I, I would always challenge the congregation to this. We're not doing what we're doing because we're protesting anything. Mm -hmm. We're not protesting anything. We're just following the Lord. Mm -hmm. So if you feel like what you're doing is to stick it to the man, then you have the wrong attitude. You, you shouldn't, you should be at peace with all men. Do what you do. And if what, what the Lord's leading you to do brings you in opposition with those that are in authority, then that's a different story. But you just follow the Lord. So write it. So we came down to, you know, the same day. Um, we're just like, well, it's time to get back together again. And we made the announcement that prior Sunday, even though there was no, we hadn't been given permission to open it that day, 
we made the announcement. We're going to get back together that day. And when we made that announcement, um, it was Thursday of that week that the mayor lifted the restrictions and we were able to meet. So, so we'd already kind of planned into reopening regardless of what the mayor said. And then we were, then you know, so each step of the way we were kind of ahead of it, which makes it really neat to follow the Lord. Yeah. And it's not going to go against some of those other things that are happening behind the scenes. It's going right. to be walking in tandem. And if you're not walking in tandem and there's something else that you have to oppose, God's going to give you the way to work around that too. Right. It always makes that way. Before I let you go, I would like for you to give us some numbers of exactly where you are so that if people around your area or maybe visitors to the island would like to, you know, come to church there or, or, or podcast you. Yeah. Give us the numbers of how to contact you and how to go to church there. Right. So first of all, our website, it's really easy because we're Calvary Chapel Central Maui. So it's cccmaui.com. And then in there, you'll have all the contact details. Um, you know, we our, our, our phone number is 808-893-2494. And tell um, us when your service times are on Sunday and on, on probably Wednesday night, right? Yeah. So here in Hawaii, it's at eight o'clock in the morning and 10 o'clock in the morning on Sunday mornings. And then on Wednesday nights, um, we have actually, we only have three more Wednesday nights that we're going to be doing formally. And that's at seven o'clock. And because I say three more Wednesday nights is because we finished the old Testament after the long haul of plowing through it, but we finished the old Testament in three weeks. And then after that, we're going to be doing Wednesday night work nights over at the new property and be having like little devotional studies and stuff there. So this is, we're going to say goodbye. And thank you again, Pastor Sean there on Maui. And thank you listeners for joining us on the road with Jesus. Bye for now. We love you. Thank you for being here today for on the road with Jesus with your host, Rhody Fisher. Every week, you'll hear experiences and testimonies from her and her friends as they share their journey with Jesus. You'll see that you're not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. If you have a question about today's show, email Rhody Fisher at rawfisher at ontheroadwithjesus.com, spelled R-A-H-F-I-S-H-E-R at ontheroadwithjesus.com. Or leave a voicemail at 951-817-0094. That's 951-817-0094. On the Road with Jesus is sponsored by Global Expressions Language Project. Learn more at asquaredlamps.org. That's the letter A, squaredlamps.org. Be sure to join us each week at this same time for more On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rody Fisher. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.